1 Kings 19b to 13a. That sounds weird. Anyway. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. Altogether. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. The word of the Lord. All right. Good morning again, everybody. Good to see you. You survived Halloween. Way to go. Uh, I'm not sure Sean did. He had pretty rough. <laughs> thousand trick-or-treaters down McGill Street. Can you believe that? A thousand. Or Trinity. Yeah, Trinity Street. Uh, we, we had quite a few in our neighborhood. There's a lot of tourists. Um, but, uh, yeah. And um, our neighbors, uh, they always attract, they're, they're tour, they attract a crowd. They, I think they had in 35 jack-o'-lanterns in the front of their house. So they really, they really go for it. But speaking of that, re-enchanting our faith. Um, today I want to talk about the prayer of silence. And the text reading there was First uh, Kings chapter 19, 9b to 13a. It's, it's part of a larger story that's quite familiar uh, to us. And um, I want to begin with a couple of stories. One is, we like stories, but one is from Henry Nouwen's book, Spiritual Direction. And it's allegedly a, a story about Michelangelo uh, who was working hard with a hammer and chisel on a large block of marble. And a little child who was watching saw nothing but large and small pieces of stone falling away left and right as he was working. And he had no idea what was happening. But the little boy returned to the studio a few weeks later and he saw, to his surprise, a large, powerful lion sitting in the place where the marble had stood. And with great excitement, the boy ran up to the sculptor and he said, Sir, tell me, how did you know there was a lion in the marble? So now and goes on to say that the, this is one of the most important questions that can be asked. Because it's about seeing. And you actually see first in your heart. And that's what enchanting our faith is about. There's another story I heard just this week. This is fresh off the press from James Finley, who's uh, doing a series. Uh, he's just written a book called The Healing Path. Wonderful mystic, uh, discipled under uh, Thomas Merton. And uh, in this podcast, he told a story. It's actually going to be in the introduction of his, his memoir, A Healing Path. He tells a, a, a story of a tradition from, of the mothers, uh, desert mothers and fathers 
of, you know, the third and fourth centuries of the church. Remember when, the, when martyrdom up to the third century was literal, <laughs> you know, it went to the lions. But after the church was corrupted by this marriage with the state in, in, under Constantine, a lot of people left society and went into the desert to seek out an interior martyrdom dying to all that hindered them from experiencing the mystical dimensions of the promises of Christ. Men and women living in the surrounding villages would follow these people out. They were solitary seekers, many of them hermits. And they would ask to receive. They'd knock on their door and they'd ask if they could receive a word because those words, simple but powerful, would enhance the hearing of their heart. And they would be awakened to a deeper realization of God's presence in their life. And in this particular story, a Christian hermit heard a knock at the door of his hermitage. And when he opened the door, he saw a father and mother and their young daughter. The parents apologized for intruding on the hermit's solitude, but said they had come to ask him to pray over their daughter, whom they said, as you can plainly see, to an evil wizard has turned into a donkey. Yes, I see, said the hermit. And he invited them to come in. The hermit then asked the parents to sit off to one side, and he asked the little girl if she was hungry and if she would like something to eat. And when she said she would like that, the hermit talked to her as he prepared her meal. Then as she ate, he continued talking to her, asking her questions about things that mattered to her. When the parents saw the love with which the hermit prepared their daughter some food and the sincere affection in which he spoke to her, their eyes were opened. They suddenly realized that the wizard had not cast a spell on their daughter, turning her into a donkey. Rather, the wizard had cast a spell on them, making them believe that their daughter was a donkey. And seeing that their daughter was truly the little girl that they loved, they were filled with joy, tearfully embraced her. And as the parents left with their daughter, they expressed their gratitude for what had happened. And their daughter was grateful as well. For it is hard being a little girl when your parents think you're a donkey. It is especially hard when you fall into the shame-based suffering that comes when you start to believe that you are indeed a, the donkey your parents believe you to be. And the deep healing that that little girl experienced in this story bears witness to the deep healing that God wants to do in us as our eyes are open. So those two stories, I think, illustrate for me what God is inviting us to, to a, a journey of seeing. We started with Ignatius of Loyola a few weeks ago, and his journey of seeing, and, and the practice of noticing, and we actually put that into practice. I don't know if you noticed on October the 22nd when we had our congregational meeting. And you remember how we just allowed each person to share, and then we gave space, the, kind of from the Quaker tradition as well. And we gave uh, space 
to hold what each person shared. And we're not done yet. We're going to continue. But I want to hold the content of that, what was shared, very sacredly. I don't want to talk about it. I want us to wait till the 20, 26th of November when we will again gather in a circle and, and continue that conversation. But we were practicing uh, Ignatian uh, ex spiritual exercises as we were doing that. And uh, I felt we were brought into a new dimension of seeing. That's all that I'll say for now. We were just brought into a new dimension of seeing. And it's still happening. I think our vision is being healed. The Lord is opening our eyes. But I want to introduce today another practice that is so critical for our seeing. And it's the prayer of silence. As a practice to see in a very distracted world. And to ruthlessly, in the words of Dallas Willard, ruthlessly eliminate hurry. And to re-enchant our faith. Now, the prayer silence, let me just say this, does not replace other kinds of prayer. The other kinds of prayer that we are familiar with, verbal prayer, the Lord's Prayer, red prayers, Lectio Divina, Scripture, uh, journaling, those are all good and they're important. But it's an important omission in our very Enlightenment-influenced Christianity where we have made Christianity about our brains and what we believe and about our doctrines and about right behavior. And there's nothing wrong with those in themselves. It's just limited. There's so much more. And so the prayer of silence is illustrated by this text that Karen read from. In the story of Elijah, he's burned out and he's tired. He's had a great victory, as we remember the story on Mount Carmel, where fire fell down from heaven. Remember that on the altar? And you'd think it'd be the greatest victory of his life, but then he finds out Jezebel's got a price on his head. And so we find him running through the desert, and he's tired, and he's so depressed, he asks God if he could die. Have you ever asked God that? Don't raise your hand. I have. I know what it's like to be that low. And you just feel like you've got nothing left to give. That you're a waste of God's time and everybody else's time around you. And he couldn't see any future. And he believes that he's the only one who's been faithful to Yahweh. And we find him in this cave near Mount Sinai. And God speaks to him and asks him, what are you doing here, Elijah? I don't, feel, I don't hear an aggression in that. I hear a tenderness. What are you doing here? What are you doing here? And he gives this lament to God. I'm the only one left and I'm about to die. It's all over. So the Lord Yahweh tells him to go out into the edge of the mountain and look out over the, the, the mountain. And he said, the Lord will come by it's interesting the number of times in the Old Testament where you hear the Lord talking about the Lord. Isn't that interesting? Kind of that plurality, that divine community already occurring that you see in the Old Testament. So the Lord says to Yahweh, the Lord's going to pass by. Or the, Yahweh says to Elijah, the Lord's going to pass by. Yahweh says to Elijah, Yahweh's going to pass by. So watch, you know. So he's watching. And there's this powerful wind. It's like he's back on the prairies. 
And then there's an earthquake back on the coast. And there's a wildfire up north, right? We got it all this year, didn't we? But the Lord was not in any of them. Then the English verse says, there was a gentle whisper. And Elijah, who had no problem with the wind, with the earthquake, and with the wildfire, can't handle the gentle whisper. And it says he pulls, he's freaked out. He pulls his cloak over his head. What's going on here? He can't handle the silence revealing that this is the problem why he can't see right now. There's a, co there's a correlation between him not seeing and not being able to handle silence. So let's look at some scriptures, and I want us to kind of back up a bit to see what's going on here with Elijah. The first one is from Psalm 46, which was our first reading today, where God says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I'll be exalted in the earth. That word for be still is the Hebrew word rafa, which means to sink down, to relax. And as I looked at the other uses of that word in the Hebrew context in the Old Testament, it's often not positive. It's often uh, uh, to be slack, to be discouraged, to grow limp, to be weak and helpless. It really sounds a lot like the first beatitude. Blessed are the spiritual nothings, the spiritual zeros, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's like God gives an invitation to just enter into that first beatitude, to be weak, to be limp. Well, how do we do that? Here's another one, Psalm 37. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Almost like fretting is the opposite of being still. Fretting is kind of the combination of anger, fear, and maybe some anxiety or, or, or uh, sadness, maybe some lament there as well. So it's like, be still, but it's a different word here. It's the word daman, to be or to grow dumb, silent or still. Both be silent and be still as opposed to fretting. Interesting one, this, this word daman is also used in Psalm 62, 5. Yes, my soul, find rest in God. So there's an aspect of resting in being still, in being silent. For my hope comes from him. One of my favorites, Psalm 131, My heart is not proud, Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. But I have calmed, it's that word daman again, and quieted myself. I am like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child, I am content. That word calmed is the same word demand, but that word quieted, it's a little bit like Trout Lake on many mornings when I run around the lake. Uh, wasn't there today, but I was there yesterday, and it's like glass. And we all know that sometimes there's a process. If you imagine your heart like that lake, how many know sometimes there's a bit of a process to get it to that place of calm? So it, 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 sometimes it's even a struggle. 
What is most interesting in this scenario with Elijah on the mountain is that this word, when God said, uh, after the fire came a gentle whisper, it's that same word, daman. Sorry, screwed up there. That's that same word, daman. It means to be still. So in other words, we could say, after the fire came, came stillness, came silence. So Elijah saw fire, God wasn't in the fire. Saw an earthquake, God wasn't in the earthquake. Saw evidence of this massive wind, God wasn't in the wind. But all of a sudden, stillness, silence. So St. John of the Cross said, silence is God's first language. And commenting on that, Thomas Keating, who's written some great books on centering prayer, said, all else is a poor translation. Silence is God's first language. All else is a poor translation. A couple more verses. Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 20, The Lord is in His holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before Him. And then from Zechariah, Be still before the Lord, all mankind, because he has roused himself from his holy dwelling. And then I like this one. Be silent before the Lord, all humanity, for he is springing into action from his holy dwelling. So there's this sense. We know that God is not limited to acting apart from us. We know God is God. But there's something about God acting in our lives, through our lives, that doesn't start till we stop. Full stop. That's what this is about. It's like God, there's a gentleness about God that is just waiting for that calm so that we can see. Remember what Jesus said, I do nothing but what I see my Father doing. Sounds like a bit like a vineyard valley, doesn't it? So the goal is coming to a place of stillness and silence so that God can act. The prayer of silence, practicing silence, makes room for God to act, to spring into action in our lives. The problem is, and again, this is an enlightenment problem, is we as Christians particularly, and I think this is one of the biggest spiritual problems in the church today, is we've reduced God to our understanding. And there's always been a tradition of the unknowability of God. God is known. God has made God's self known. But there's an unknowability about God in that. And whenever we give up that part, we make our beliefs an idol. We limit God to our own ideas of God, which can be the most damaging and dangerous idolatry, is our ideas of God. They're not bad in themselves, they're just incomplete. And so the, the mystics, the tradition, all the way back from the cloud of unknown to St. John of the Cross, to Meister Eckhart, to Julian of Norwich, they all emphasize this part, the unknowability of God keeping that mystery in our relationship so we could see, so we could stay enchanted. 
and not have God sized up in our own little boxes. And so there was, in response to the unknowability of God and the knowability of God, there's two kinds of prayer. To respond to God's knowability, we've done what we did today. We've sung, we've read scripture, I'm doing some preaching. That's called discursive. The fancy word is cataphatic prayer. You don't even need to remember it. But in the tradition, it means cataphatic prayer, prayer that involves the mind, prayer that involves the, the word, prayer that involves images. Apophatic prayer is how we respond to the unknowability of God, which means prayer without images, without thoughts, without words. And we're not very familiar with that, especially in this very digitally simulated world. And let me tell you, it's hard. Because we've worshipped our brain and we like to be in control. And if you're going to do this, you're going to have to give up control. You're going to have to let go. What are you going to have to let go of? You're going to have to let go of the hardest thing there is to let go of. And that is the, the addiction of your false self to be in control by your thinking and speaking and and acting. You have to let it go. And you have to rest back. I, I love one illustration I heard of the Christian life uh, early in my spiritual direction practice that has really helped me in, in my own life and in offering direction. Is that we often imagine the Christian life being on this pilgrimage where you're climbing a mountain. And you, you know, like Pilgrim's Progress. You got your bag on your back and you're climbing the mountain. But the way one mystic said, well, actually that's not it. The understanding of the Christian life is you're climbing this mountain and you hear a voice saying, fall backwards, I will catch you. That is the Christian life. That is the struggle that we are in. It's that letting go. So let's get ready to practice. We have a few minutes. Uh, I'd like to, to not just, it, there's nothing more ridiculous than somebody speaking for a whole half hour on silence. It's a little bit incongruent there. So. So, a couple of things. First of all, there's some premises that you go into this with. The first premise is that God is always initiating towards you in love. You were conceived in love. God thought about you, and you were such an incredible idea. You have to exist. So you're here because of love, and you're... You, are sustained because God keeps loving you. If God ever stopped loving you for one second, you would disappear. You and I wouldn't exist. We are absolutely nothing without God. So there's a sense of our absolute, utter nothingness without God, and yet with God, in God we have everything. And so God is constantly initiating towards you. You were made uh, in love, by love, for love, and he's sustaining you. And you're unceasingly loved by God. And, and the, the way that some of the mystics, and this is from Ephesians chapter 3, verses 18, 19, Romans chapter 8, that, that there's this, the, the, it's like the real, your real essence is what you're returning to in, in this kind of prayer. You're returning to your true self, which is the beloved of God, which is in union with God, which is this infinite abyss of God's love holding you and sustaining you for all eternity in life and in death, whatever, wherever you are, no matter what you're facing, you're held and sustained 
by this love. But most we too often live not, out, not necessarily out of our false self, but we live not out of our true essence, out of who we really are as the beloved of God. And so this act is an act of actually returning to our own heart. Remember Augustine said, you were with me, but I wasn't with you. I was looking for you all out there. But when I returned home, there you were, right? So there's that sense of returning to our heart that happens. So that's the first premise. The second thing is the setting. So what I would encourage you to do is, is that you set a rule for your life of when, when this is going to happen. For me, I do it first thing in the morning. I do it before I read scripture. I do it before I pray. I do it before anything else. I take 20 minutes and I just practice it. It's just an act of surrender. It's just an act of entering my day. And usually I do it in a certain place in my house. But my favorite place is called Shinrin-yoku. You know what that means? Shinrin-yoku. Forest bathing, it's a Japanese word. And it's what it is, it's we go into the forest in silence. I do this at least once a week for a couple hours, just silent. All I can hear is running water. And you, you engage all of your senses, what you see, what you smell, what you taste. I don't know how you taste the forest, but I remember the last good thing I tasted. Um, I feel the breeze, sometimes the little rain dropping on my face. I feel kissed. See the colors. Oh, I mean, this week, I, didn't, I haven't needed to go to the North Shore. It's my neighborhood. It's, I just wept. Turned a corner. Oh my gosh. Am I getting older or are the colors just getting brighter or both? I'm not? Thank you. Well, we're all going to live forever, so we're all pretty young, right? That's right. So, take a forest bath. But usually it's in my house. I don't eat or eat drink, I don't have a beverage. I don't write, don't journal, nothing. Give it up, let it go. That's my Pentecostal coming through, saying be, be contemplative. Let it go, be still, be calm, like a little child with his mother. Let your heart become glassy like a lake, like that lake where it's a perfect reflection of the trees and the mountains. Then I'd recommend you set a time. I recommend 20 minutes, but if that's too much, start with what you can start with. I know that the emotionally healthy spirituality, they started you with two. Some people went ape like Elijah just with two minutes. They pulled their coat over their head. But start somewhere. And... Uh, Start with centering, kind of like we do, you know, we've kind of implemented some of these practices in our church. Take a few deep breaths and pay attention to your own breath. Be aware of your body where you're sitting on your chair, uh, the weight of your body on, your, on, the, on the chair and the, the feet, weight of your feet on the floor. Just be aware of your surroundings, sounds. Just be aware. Be aware of your, you know, sometimes I notice when I'm sitting, my, my fingers are clenching. 
And I go, let go, let go. It's amazing what your body will tell you if you listen to your body. Just listen to your body. We're embodied followers of Jesus. So pay attention to your breath. Be aware of where you're sitting. Realize that you're being held by love right now. You're being held by love. Did you know that? You're being held by love. You think, well, it's the pew. It's hard. Well, you know what? Chemically, scientifically, you're being held by an energy. You are sitting on more space than matter right now. All those particles of electrons and molecules, they're spinning around, and there's more space. It's just scientifically true. There's more space than matter. What's holding you is energy. Well, what is that energy? What is it? Colossians chapter 1, all things are held together by Christ is holding. You're held. So think of that. You're being held. Be a little child. I need, I'm a full-grown man, 66 years old. I need somebody to just pick me up and hold me. I was thinking when I was three years old, I was swinging around like a monkey, and we used to live in this parsonage next to the church auditorium. I was swinging around like a monkey at three years of age on these triple beds, and also, I had a quarter in my mouth. And all of a sudden, bleh, it went right down my throat. And I was just going, and, and I was dying. I remember three years of age, I was dying. All of a sudden, I felt these big, strong arms come around. And this, and that quarter went, boom. I just thought of that this morning. I was thinking of that in my prayer time, and I thought, Jesus, I still need you to do that. It was my dad. And I thank him for my dad today. But we all, we never get beyond that. I have weaned, I have quieted myself like a weaned child with his mother. So be aware of your emotions. Think, you know, be aware of, of the fretting, you know, that's happening, right? Anxiety, fear, sadness, joy. And then, this is really important. Pick a sacred word. You can pick Jesus. Some people, it should be short. Beloved, creator, love, mercy. And as you're breathing, just begin to say, not out loud, but just in your mind, with your breath, just say the sacred word in rhythm with your breathing. The Eastern Orthodox do this with the Jesus prayer. As you breathe in, just breathe out, and if your word is beloved, I like beloved. It's been really special for a lot of seasons of my life because there's something about that word where it's about Jesus, but it's about me. It's we're both the beloved, and we're, we're in this together. So I love that word, but other people find love is a great word. But it just reminds me of who I am, and I just feel like my, I sink into who, who my true essence the beloved child of God. And I actually feel like I'm going through a dying. I feel like I sometimes imagine that I'm just dying, like I'm on my deathbed. My Auntie Gladys, she died just this week, and I, I was online with the funeral yesterday. 93 years old, planted 90 churches in Africa, amazing legacy, all her kids and grandkids, and telling stories about her. But you know, for the last few years of her life, she couldn't talk. She couldn't move. 
She was an invalid. I imagine myself like that. Be still. Be still. I imagine myself just like that, like Gladys. I think of Gladys. That's me. And when I die, it'll be no different. I'll be held, just like I am right now. This is, I've heard so many stories of people falling in love with God because they just become aware. Of, you can't do anything to impress God when you're like that. You can't earn acceptance and love. You're totally dependent on God and loved. So that helps me sometimes in the centering. Now, as thoughts arise, let go. So as, when a thought arises, as you're, as you're just breathing, just be aware of when, when a thought arises that just doesn't belong there. And just let it go. And just keep doing it. If it comes back, and so the sacred word, when you feel like you're being pulled away, just come bring yourself back with that sacred word. Beloved, Jesus, love, creator, God, whatever it is. Just keep bringing, bringing yourself back. Just return, return, return. There is an aspect of trust in this. When you let go of thoughts, because you know what? Some of my best sermon illustrations come right in the middle of it. I go, this is fantastic. i got to write this down. Let it go. Oh, i got to call this person. I forgot to call them. Let it go. If it's really important, you'll remember later. It's okay. Right? Just trusting. It's actually an act of trust, an act of surrender, and an act of letting go of control. Distractions are the relentless quest of the false self to stay in control. And that monkey brain will come along and just... And you know what's encouraged me? Is I've listened to mystics and, and experts in this who will say that for 20 minutes of practicing it, they felt they had about one quality minute in the 20 minutes. But here's the thing. Here's the difference I notice is that often I don't notice a difference in the middle of it. I don't feel like anything happened. All I notice is through the day, I'm seeing better. I notice things. Because I've slowed down. Stopped. So just return, return, return. One mystic said, there's more joy in heaven over one sinner that repents. And that word repent means return. So just think how God, happy God is if 300 times in your silent time you have to keep returning. Think how much joy in heaven there is. You keep coming back. So don't be hard on yourself, beloved. Don't be hard on yourself. Just you're, you've chosen to spend time with Jesus. And that's what matters. So let's take a few minutes to do that. So I'd like you to get yourself comfortable as, as can be where you are. Hey, I should do that too. Where's my stool? Um, <clears throat> like you to just helps to close your eyes.
Take a deep breath. Sometimes what I do is I count. Breathe in, two, three, four. Hold, two, three, four. Breathe out, two, three, four. Hold, two, three, four. Breathe in, like that. Just do that a few times. Just breathe in. Breathe out. Just be aware of being held right now.
So how was that for you? Any any questions? Feedback? One thing I forgot to do was to give you a time. Usually, it's good to give a time, um, set a time. So that was three or four minutes. Yeah. How many felt it like it was an eternity? <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is fun. And, and action and thought and word are all ways that we stay in control, right? So it's, 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 uh, it's just a really, it's been a, just a lifesaver for me. Um, and you can do that in the day. You can do that standing in a Starbucks line or wherever you go. You can, you can just return. Just return. You know, when you get upset in traffic, just return. Return, return. It's, it's not something that's limited to that time. Um, we come together once a month now to practice, don't we, Sean? Uh, with our silent night. So we'll come together. And you know, there's a vulnerability about silence, but there's also vulnerability about silence together. I found it takes it to a whole new level. I remember the first time I started getting spiritual direction, I'd go to see Jeff over on 49th in Carisdale there. Uh, Mark, anyway, he, uh, yeah, we, it, I just wasn't used to it, just sitting there in silence with this guy. He's like, somebody say something, you know? <laughs> it was hard. And, uh, but there's something precious about being in silence together. And I, I'm sure you felt it at our congregational meeting. That was just reverencing what each person shared. Um, so beautiful, so beautiful. So, um, any other questions or feedback? So, by the way, on Zoom, one person shared that it was hard to let go. Yeah. Yeah, so Kathleen just shared it's hard to let others go in when she's doing it together because of concerns. Yeah, and I think some of us are more sensitive to like an intercessory or kind of pastoral, oh, I wonder how so-and-so is doing. And, and you have to let that go during this time, don't you? Yeah. And Thomas Keating really helped me when he talked about the fact that he was doing it in New York City. And, you know... <laughs> Silence in New York City is just, what's that? And he talked about it's actually something that happens inside of you. So you might hear traffic outside or, you know, like us, for us, we heard the kids downstairs. That's okay. It's okay. Right? It's about cultivating that silence 
inside of us. So, as Moses instructed Aaron to tell the priests when they bless the people, to say, to put the name of Yahweh on them, may the Lord Yahweh bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you, turn his countenance towards you, and give you peace. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. God be with you all. God bless you. Have a wonderful week.